Hello, and welcome to episode two of Sharpest Knives. I'm Maris Antolin, and in this episode, I talk to Shannon Wells. Shannon has worked at the Showbox Theater in downtown Seattle for over 17 years, and she does a lot of other things, too. She's a, she's a fine art photographer, she has studied ecology, and she most recently has started an advocacy group called Friends of the Showbox. And how that came around, I'll give you a brief overview right now before we get into our full conversation. But in July 2018, it was leaked to the public that a developer had filed permits to tear down the Showbox Theater in downtown Seattle and build a 44-story luxury apartment tower. So Shannon gives a great description of the history of the theater, the current situation with the developer, and why she saw the need to start an advocacy organization called Friends of the Showbox. And we taught, we covered a lot in our conversation, and we so we also talked about the ecology of cities, the importance of historic places, and building sustainable networks. Shannon. I had a great time talking to Shannon, so I hope you have a great time listening. And with that, here is my conversation with Shannon Wells. Okay, welcome to Sharpest Knives. I'm Maris, and today I'm sitting here with Shannon Wells. Um, A short bio, even though she has a lot of things <laughs> do a lot of stuff um shannon got her ba at the university of southern florida and studied art at georgia state university she is a fine art photographer she has an organization called haifa that um deals with permaculture earthen earthen building herbalism and Pacific Northwest Native Plants. Um, It's a collaborative project. She she also most recently is the founder of an organization called Friends of the Showbox in Seattle, and she is working on her MFA in arts leadership at Seattle University. Did I... I feel like I covered like <laughs> yep, most of those things. The broad range. That sounds true. But we can talk <laughs> in details right now. Awesome. Yeah. Um, is there something specific that I left out that you'd like to talk about? Um, well, I, I think the only thing I would say is that the basis of everything that I do, that the root of what I do comes from... Um, thinking and worrying about climate change, which mm. uh, that has been the, I would say the primary, I don't know, focus or thought in my mind for almost 15 years as I've been thinking about the, um, the state of the planet and how we are destroying our home. And I've been trying to figure out a way that I can personally act. And so the organization, uh, HIFA, that I founded stems directly from that. And so it's how to look at the world through an ecological lens and Mm -hmm. to think about other ways that humans can live on this planet where we don't destroy it. So that's the foundation for everything that I do. And um, so I think that's important to know that that's the root of my work. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And from seeing your photography to it, absolutely is tied into how you you're in your own artistic practice right which is also tied to Haifa yes right and I think that um throughout the time that I've been working on photography I've been a photographer I've lost track like 25 years Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. um it was always about place for me I traveled all over to many places of the world and in the world and I wanted to go to old historic places to see if there was still a feeling there of the place or like what is the history of the place feel like or mm-hmm. what are the mysteries that are held in historic places 
and and then ecology is very tied to place for me and moving to Seattle Seattle always felt like a place that was my home even though I'm not from here and when but when I moved here it felt really familiar to me and so as I've set out to learn about this place that is my chosen home ecology is very important and the history of this area and who are the people that were here before us and um, how did they use the plants that were here and um, so that's been what I've been studying for over 10 years now is what is the la this landscape of this place that is Seattle or the Pacific Northwest and then how can I learn to be a better naturalized citizen here. Um, I don't call myself native to this place by any means, but I thought that if I was going to be a good citizen to this place, I should know the people and the plants of this land. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, so that's part of the basis of Haifa is to know this place. Mm -hmm. uh, there are plants that are specific to this place. And um, and then what are the systems, the ecological systems, and how are we all tied together in this place? Mm -hmm. And it seems like part of that connection is to, to know the things that are native here, the plants, the ecology, in order to establish a relationship with them that right. isn't one-sided based on you live here now and right. then how do you you know like you are aware of your environment literally and figuratively and then you can establish um a symbiotic relationship rather than just a one-way street right yeah and so it's also how to give something back what is it that i can do um to try to sustain what we have here or to make it better to regenerate what's been lost or destroyed. Mm -hmm. So um, a simple action is planting native plants for different pollinators. It's a really simple thing to do, that, but that supports other life forms here besides humans. Right. And it's really hard for urban wildlife, you know, in, in these areas that have no very little green space, very little water. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, those have been things that I've thought about. And I also like the importance of local action. And if I think about climate change on a really big scale, it's too big of a problem to deal with. And you have like globally all these governments that are not willing to take any action for various reasons and we're not working together. And so I felt like I could do something here in a place that I love that would benefit the people and the place that are here. And so it was my way to give back to Seattle. And I, I call I call it a, a love song. It's like it's my love song to mm -hmm. Seattle. This project is it's about gratitude and reverence for a place and about other ways of living. I think that's really unique in a city. I ex like day to day I experience so many people who aren't grounded in their place they're worried about themselves mm -hmm. they're not looking around themselves at even the other human beings around right. them yeah. which is easy to do in a place like downtown mm -hmm. there's barely any wildlife like there's no wildlife right. you might yeah. see a pigeon. pigeons yeah you'll see <laughs> a pigeon crows. yeah mm -hmm. um but you don't it's very easy to get lost is what I is what I'm getting at. Is it? It's right. easy to not have to think about anyone else but yourself. Sure. Yeah. And I think that like everything that I do, also is like there's this basis of living systems, mm -hmm. and so that's really inspiring to me and influences all of my work. And so I'm constantly thinking about what are the different systems in this environment and how are we all networked together and how are we also interdependent? Mm -hmm. So it changes the way that you view everything where I don't walk through downtown and feel like I'm the only one and I'm this only thing. I feel connected to the space and to the process. Um, so that it's really important just to, for me to frame everything in that way so that I can see what the relationships are because that's basically 
the basis of living systems is mm -hmm. that everything is networked together and net networking is a pattern of organization that all life forms do and humans do it too. So if we can be aware of what we're doing and then we can look to nature to see how does nature organize, then we can use those ideas and apply them towards our human organization so that we can function in a better way. And because mm -hmm. the whole goal is to not destroy our land base, right? <laughs> you know, we right. have no uh, planet B, as they say. Yeah. There's nowhere else to go. We're not going to Mars. Sorry, all you space people. Sorry, Sorry Elon Musk. <laughs> exactly. It's not going to work. But like, we have a home here where we have evolved to be, and so I mm -hmm. think we should do everything in our power to keep it, to sustain it. Totally. Yeah. Um, have you heard? Have you listened to the podcast Radio Lab? I've heard a few. Yeah. Um, there's one that's um, the rhythms of cities. Uh -huh. and, like people like did a study where they like figured out that people in each city were walking to the same beat. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like New York City had a whole uh -huh. pattern. Uh -huh. and, yeah, it was really uh -huh. interesting. So, that's cool. Yeah. Huh. I'll have to look it's that up. It's a little up. connected yeah. to what we're talking about. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, how long have you been in Seattle? 17 years. 17? Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, what brought you here initially? Uh, I came here for the music scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to come here since the early 90s, you know, when grunge was in its heyday. I was living in Florida, and um, Seattle was like the mecca for me. I wanted to yeah. come here for yeah. music, and it took me like 10 years to get here. I went to Atlanta for a bit, and then mm -hmm. um, this place just kept calling me, so I moved out here, and it, it just felt like home to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I love I've that. Been here ever since. Yeah. <laughs> and have you been working at the Showbox that whole time? Yeah, I started um, maybe towards the end of the first year that I moved out here. Wow. I got a job at a record store, and I met someone there who worked at the Showbox, and he gave me a job. Mm -hmm. So I would work there just really sporadically, part-time for a few years, and then it picked up, became more um, more regular, and then in 2008, I left my other job and just went there, and it's been my only job pretty much since 2008. Yeah. Yeah. So. What have you done there I started out as a merch seller, Okay. selling t-shirts for bands, and then I started doing the box office, I did mm -hmm. a little coat check, um, then I became a house manager maybe like four and a half years ago, so I mostly just manage shows, and then I run different merch stands for like Bumbershoot and Marymore and stuff like that. How are those, how are merch stands connected to the show box, just you know people? Well, we, um, AEG is the owner of the show oh. box business, and mm -hmm. they are the promoters for shows at Marymore and Bumbershoot, so gotcha. it's, it's all in the same network. Gotcha. <laughs> people. And then I do freelance at all, a bunch of different venues around town. Mm -hmm. If people need merch sellers last minute, I go fill in at Neptune or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I bet most, that's mostly like shows you maybe want to see, though. Not really. No? Actually. <laughs> no. no. I just, I don't know. I, I have relationships with people at other venues, and yeah. I like to help them out. So if they need something, and it's a little extra money for me. Right. And uh, just keeps me, it keeps me in the loop at all the different venues. So if I do want to go to a show, I'll be like, hey. Hey, this is coming hey, up. I want to go to this one. <laughs> and then I can get in. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. fun. That's a, I mean, that's a good story about. That's about relationships. Yeah. I have relationships with people at almost every venue in the city. Yeah. And it's just been from years and years of yeah. working, and it develops over time. Right. Yeah. And a lot of the employees at the Showbox work at all these different venues, too. Yeah. So it is definitely like this little nightlife community that mm -hmm. goes, you know, works at different venues. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It seems like that is common in... Like, it's definitely, from my experience in the dance community, everyone kind of, like, mm -hmm. pulls from the same pool yeah. of volunteers. And, and you can't really make a living generally just working part-time at one venue, but no. you can maybe string together several venues, and then you can actually make, sort of make a living here. Right. <laughs> It's yeah. tough. <laughs> yeah. That's what I call yeah. doing the hustle. Yeah. Where you just totally, do. <laughs> everyone is hustling. Like two sure. part-time jobs mm -hmm. and then 
whatever yeah. else you can yeah, scrape and then together. You just, you just take on random jobs as they come because there's a lot right. of summer festivals and stuff sure. that employ people. That, they're all pulling from the same pool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So moving into the show box, mm-hmm. can you um, can you give kind of a general overview and maybe a timeline of what's going on mm-hmm. with the development there? Sure. So just as a little background, the show box, the building itself was built in 1916, and then the theater itself opened in 1939. It was remodeled in 1939 and became the show box theater. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, it has changed owners uh, a few times, you know, over the last 79 years. Mm-hmm. And um, and it has been empty for... A f- there are a few periods where it was dormant, like in the 80s. There wasn't a lot happening there. Uh, but then it, it was revived in the 80s, basically. It's a, um, it's a promotion company that started booking bands there. And then um, a local guy bought it in the 90s sometime and mm. he had it something like 13 years or something and then he sold it to AEG around 2008 and they've owned it for about 10 years mm-hmm. and um so basically the building itself is owned by Roger Forbes he is this strip club owner guy he's connected <laughs> with the the deja vu strip club uh <laughs> empire okay and um so he's on the building for a while and he, I guess, some, well, Ani Group, they are a Canadian developer. They made him an offer to buy the building. And they are in a contract to buy the building. Sometime in the early 2000s, that spot was zoned. It was upzoned, basically, to hmm. 44 stories. Oh, I see. And so I think people weren't really aware that that zoning change happened. Like it's been a it's been a long time since it happened. Yeah. And so we've all just assumed that the showbox would just continue to be. And I don't know that anyone was really thinking about who owns it. Is it safe? What is it zoned for? And so the location of the showbox is it's directly across the street from the Pike Place Market, and the historic boundary. The historic district boundary ends on the other side of the street, basically. Right. So we are just outside the boundary, and um, but the zoning is different. There's a building right next door. There's a basically there's a parking lot that's owned independently next to the showbox, and then next to that is the Han building, which is where the Green Tortoise Hostel is, and that building is that spot is zoned for 14 stories. Instead of, and then the, I forget what the, um, the parking lot is zoned for something else. It might also be 14 stories. And then Mm -hmm. the showbox plot is zoned for 44. So they, so it's like right at the entrance of the market. And, um, so there has been a lot of pushback against that home building because they're going to be redeveloping that. And they, it's currently like three or four stories and then they want to build a 14-story building. So, of course, the Pike Place Market does not want a 14-story building or a 44-story building across the street from their main entrance. So, Ani Group is in contract with Roger Forbes to buy the building. I don't have any, like, more information on what is happening with them, but Mm -hmm. in July, the news was leaked that they had filed for some pre-permitting. It was like an intent to do something. They filed some intentions with the Office of Construction and Inspections. And so that got leaked to the press. (laughs) And none of us knew anything about it. The owner never talked to AEG or anything like that. Like Nobody knew this was happening. It was a surprise to everyone. And so at that point, um, Shama Sawant's office, so she's a city council representative, she um, put forth an ordinance to um, move, temporarily move the boundary of the Pike Place Market to include the show box. Mm-hmm. And um, there was community outcry. Yeah. People were freaking out that the show box was going to be torn down. Because basically, Ani wants to demolish the building mm-hmm. and build a 44-story luxury apartment tower. Right. And, uh, (laughs) another one, right? Like we need more. Yeah. And so, uh, community members started a petition on change.org 
to um, say that we want to preserve the show box mm-hmm. as a historical landmark. And currently there are over 116,000 people that have signed that petition. So it gathered a lot of signatures in a very short amount of time and it was being shared all over the internet and that and the news got the attention of city council. And so um, council members want put forth this ordinance to temporarily move the boundary and there were a series of hearings and committee meetings. And so in that process, they, um, she had asked for a year on the boundary move, but mm-hmm. it got shortened to, um, nine or 10 months. I forget now. Um, so it expires in June of 2019. Okay. So over the period of time, there were a series of hearings and the ordinance was passed. And so now what happens is as we're part temporarily part of the Pike Place Market Historic District, any changes of structure or use have to go through the Pike Place Market Historic Commission. Okay. So it doesn't change the zoning of the spot. Mm -hmm. It just changes the process for approval of permits. Okay. So even they still have to get permit approvals from the city and from the Office of Construction and Inspections. But now there's another layer that they have to go through where they have right. to present their plans to the historic commission and the historic commission has to approve it or not. And they're not going to approve it. If we're included in the historic district, you right. can't tear the building down. Right. So basically it stops the developer mm-hmm. in its tracks basically. Yeah. Um, and so the owner responded by suing the city for $40 million saying that it was a spot zoning change and that it violates his um, freedom of speech to do what he wants to with his property as a private property owner. Mm-hmm. So there was a hearing a couple of months ago, and part of the lawsuit got thrown out. So the damages part got thrown out because there hasn't been a permanent decision made. So yeah. they haven't actually lost anything at this point. There are delays, but... Um, but he's not. But he can't sue for damages when there have been there has been no decision made. Right. Basically. Yeah. So and then they pushed the rest of the lawsuit to August of 2019, hmm. which is after the ordinance expires. Right. So at this point, um, they're not going to be able to stop the ordinance uh, because the hearing falls after it expires. So yeah. in the meantime, we have temporary protection under the Pipeline Market Historical Commission. Mm-hmm. And the mayor's office now is tasked with coming up with some sort of solution hmm. uh, to this problem. So the city council approved some budget um, supplements, basically from the third quarter budget of this year, to go to the Department of Neighborhoods so that they can do a study of what is the historical significance of the show box how is it related? What's the relationship to the market? Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to do outreach to neighboring businesses. I believe Friends of the Market would like them to extend the boundary uh, to include more than just the show box. So extend yeah. it to the other side of the street on First Avenue for it to include maybe a block on either side mm-hmm. of Pike. Um, I don't know. I mean, they have very, they have like different maps and different options. Um, yeah. But they would like a larger buffer against um, high-rise development directly across the street from the market's entrance. Yeah. So then there's also some money in the budget that went to SDCI, which is the constructions and inspections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're supposed to do an environmental review of what moving the boundary would mean. So it's not an environmental <laughs> review of building the tower because Ani, they have to do their own environmental review for right. that. Okay. But this would just be a study of does moving the boundary pose any impacts on the environment? So they have money to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just like picturing that area of town where I can't, in my brain, I can't picture a tree. Right. Yeah. And so basically, I, we, yeah, we're not. Like, we can't think of any reason why they would say there's some sort of negative yeah, impact. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
And so they have to um, present something back to city council Mm -hmm. in like April or May. And then um, there'll be some sort of vote. Yeah. In June, bef- you know, before the ordinance expires. Yeah. To what either we're going to extend it or not going to, or what's the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, the mayor's office says that redevelopment is still on the table. They have to look at all options. So they will meet with the developer and the owner and talk about those things. Mm-hmm. And um, they'll look at it from all all sides. And then they'll make some sort of recommendation and then city council has to decide what to do. Right. And then in the meantime, we're waiting for the historic landmark nomination hearing. So Historic Seattle, Friends of Historic Belltown, and Vanishing Seattle, they were the three organizations that jointly filed the nomination application for historical landmark status. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so we have to wait to see when that hearing will be scheduled. So it'll probably be spring. Of 2019. Yeah. And that will be another way for the community to engage. Nice. In this process. Nice. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a little bit of a holding pattern right now. Yes. Sounds like there's a lot happening April, May, June, August. Yeah. There's not a lot happening right now, even though they need to be doing this. They need to be, the Department of Neighborhoods needs to be doing the work right now Mm -hmm. um, on the studies and stuff. So. Yeah. Okay, so, um, we're in a holding pattern, but with that, um, we talked about, like, building networks and, um, like, symbiotic relationships, and as a part of your bio, you said that your mission is to build a web of resilient communities, and how does that, how does that connect with your like public policy work that you're now doing with the showbox and with the friends of the showbox. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, what we didn't mention before is that um, we did form friends of the showbox. So, mm-hmm. a, a group of employees. Um, we've been working on this since July, basically, and yeah. so we formed friends of the showbox um, to streamline the advocacy efforts because what I was seeing was that. There were all these different groups that were working on things, and none of it was coordinated. We weren't mm-hmm. talking to one another. And so we were either duplicating our efforts or we were working against each other somehow. So, and what I was also hearing was that there wasn't a place for anyone to go to find out information. It's not, there's no information on the Showbox website itself. Uh, AEG, as the owners, they have to be really hands off in mm-hmm. this matter because we have a lease until 2021 and you know, like yeah. our, everything is really uncertain. So they're, they're trying to maintain relationships with the owner and mm-hmm. not, you know, so they're in a weird spot. So the Showbox employees though is, is a different thing. We have a little more freedom to be active. So we have taken this on, um, and we've met with friends of the market and they wanted to form a coalition to advocate for the permanent boundary move. So we've invited some other organizations along and we're building this now. So, um, but the point of the website itself is that there is a central hub where people can go to get information that's legitimate and accurate. Right. And then there are concrete ways that the community can take action. So I see it as networking with all of these groups and working together and realizing that essentially we want the same thing, even if we might have a different idea of how to get it. But most of us, other than the developer and the owner, (laughs) we want to save the show box. Right. And we don't want to just save it as a plaque on some wall of a luxury apartment building in the right. lobby. And we don't want a new venue in the base in like the base floor of a forty four story luxury apartment tower. Right. We want the show box. We want the existing building th- that is there now and we want it to continue 
to be a music venue into the future because there is something very special about the place itself mm-hmm. and the history of this place in Seattle and its cultural significance to the art scene and the music scene of Seattle. Mm-hmm. And so um, forming this coalition is going to help us achieve that because we're much stronger collectively and we need to we need to streamline our efforts so that we're not wasting our energy. We're not all doing the same thing, but separately. So right. we're getting all these groups together to be more powerful as one. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're talking about keeping a place be- because it is that place. Right. Yeah, just like you were saying before about, like, be in the place where you are. Right. And experience it fully. You don't want to... It's like when your favorite restaurant franchises and you're like the food is not as good uh-huh. <laughs> like they don't have that yeah. dirty cast iron right skillet <laughs> yeah that place is um i mean it has the lived-in energy mm-hmm. of hundreds of thousands of people and yeah. their music fans you know right. so it's like people dancing on the floor and people yelling and screaming and singing and dancing and um, there's actual blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> in that building right. of, of my own, yeah, you know, and of other people, right? You know, it's like injuries and cathartic experiences, and right. I've made lifelong friends there, and there are people there I consider my family. They're my chosen family, and the place is really special to people in Seattle, mm-hmm. and. For many reasons. So I, I just, I think that like, it's important to be clear of what we want. Yeah. And that we're not, we're not fighting to save some columns or the spring loaded dance floor to be put in some other building. We right. want the place itself. Yeah. And, um, and I, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to settle for anything else, right. you know? Right. No, I'm why would keep, you? I'm going to keep you? working for it because I, yeah. because I believe in it. And that place is really, really special. Yeah. To, I would say, like, the modern music history of Seattle. Totally. You know? And just a place where people can go and be together, even with strangers, and yeah. experience something that's transformative through live music. And there aren't a lot of spaces like that that exist anymore. And they keep, you know, they're being torn down faster than we can catch up, you know. Right. And uh, so I think it's important just in, like, the broader cultural landscape of Seattle that we save this place and also start looking at our zoning laws and what have we done. And is Mm -hmm. it too late, you know, to change some of these so that we can save these spaces in Seattle? They're part of what makes Seattle, Seattle. They're... Totally. The reason why people, many people come here. Right. You know, if you're not a tech worker, why are you coming to Seattle? People come here for the music. Yeah. Because this place is a known music mecca in the United States. And yeah. it has, you know, a, a history of that. And so I think it's important to, um, I don't know, to just like to realize that and to honor that and to right. try to save it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, um, I know that some major music artists have been a part of the Save the Show Box Mm -hmm. campaign. Can you talk a little bit about, like, Um, the history besides how old the theater is? Sure. Uh, I mean, many, many Seattle artists have played on that stage, and so if you think about, uh, you know, all the famous grunge people, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Pearl Jam played there and Soundgarden played there. Mudhoney has played there many, many times. Um, Alice in Chains. I think the only band that didn't play there was Nirvana. Yeah, I was going to... I, I went through the, the history of the bands. I actually have a list of bands and when they played. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't find Nirvana on the list anywhere. So That's funny. everyone but them. You just stuck to the <laughs> crocodile. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but, I mean, Macklemore has played there. Um Duff McKagan and his various bands has been there, and he was one of the first and very vocal people um, that spoke up when this was happening, that mm-hmm. we need to save it. And Ben Gibbard, of course, from Death Cab for Cutie. Right. He came down to one of um, the city council hearings and gave a public testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then we have local band Thunder Pussy. Right. They're they've Love been pretty Molly sides. They've been yeah. pretty vocal about it, and um, they're playing New Year's Eve, and so their their theme is uh, "Damn the Man, Save the Showbox." <laughs> did the, they play there last year they too? Did. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I mean, a lot. You know, as we had those Pearl Jam home shows here around that time. Yeah. And so Mike McCready and Eddie Vedder were sporting their Save the Showbox shirts mm-hmm. and leading the crowd in a chant to Save the Showbox, like 50,000 people chanting Save the Showbox. And, right. And so, and they also were putting things up on marquees around, like they played Wrigley Field and it said Save the Showbox on the marquee yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> so, you know, it, like it became wider. It yeah. became more known as they were using their platform to share um, what was happening. Right. Yeah. So, so it's been great that there's, I mean, yeah. there's so, you know, a huge outpouring of love from music fans and musicians for that yeah. place. And I mean, just being an employee of the place for so long and in the position that I'm in, I speak with a lot of tour managers and band members and they have so much love for the show box. Mm-hmm. It's one of their favorite places to play in the country. It's always That's like awesome. in the, people will tell me it's in their top three places to play because they love the way it feels. It's like the vibe of the place, the way it sounds, and our staff is professional. And they know when they roll in there that they're going to be taken care of and the show's going to go well. It's right. going to be a great show and the fans are going to come and have a great time. So, yeah. So, that's like, that's another reason that we need to save it is because right. venues are being torn down all over the country. Yeah. You know, for these development reasons. And mm-hmm. um, so, what happens if all of your sort of like small, mid sized venues are gone? You're just going to have the tiny right. places and the giant places. Right. But, like, what happens for all the, the mid sized rooms? So, we're one of the best mid-sized rooms in this country. Yeah. That, um, I mean, the high visibility of those people speaking about it also makes it, like, more important to have a website, you know, exactly. and have an organization where mm-hmm. all the information can be right. together. Right. And be like, oh, save the show box. I'm mm-hmm. in Chicago. Right. Why do I care? Right. You're like, oh, I'll go to this website. And you can find out more about it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the, that's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just call Ben Gibbard and uh-huh. have him say more. Yeah. He needs to be on, he's part of the friends of the show box. He will be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <I> get <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's great. Um, so with that, what can people do to support the Friends of the Showbox and its continuing efforts? So at this point, I, I mean, I think there will be a few times coming up when we want a real um, concerted, like, heavy-hitting presence of the community, mm-hmm. and that will be when the landmark hearings happen in the spring. Great. Um, and then, of course, whenever the ordinance expires, whatever they're going to be putting forth. But I think also... Um, people could go to the change.org petition. You mm-hmm. can just type in showboxchange.org and it'll totally pop up. Like the numbers are still growing. So I think it, even though like signing the petition doesn't mean it gets historic status by any means, but right. it shows that there's support out there for it and that people are still paying attention and right. they're still Ongoing signing. Support. So if it's, the numbers keep growing and growing, we can say, look, these are how many people. Mm-hmm that have signed this petition. So, I mean, so it's still, I think it matters just in terms of like, it shows the the support. Yeah. And then I think it's important to email our city council representatives Mm -hmm. and the mayor Mm -hmm. to say that we're still here and we haven't forgotten about the issue. Right. And to just to remind them that we do want to save the show box and we want to save the place and we want it, we want it to continue to be a music venue. Right. Because, you know, they're behind closed doors making their deals and we don't know what they're talking about and they might just decide that a few columns is enough. Right. And that's not or the facade and, or right. something. And it's not yeah. like we're going to save the marquee and everything will be fine. Like, that's not what we want. And no. so I think it's important to keep reminding them mm-hmm. that, yes, we are still here, that we're a presence, and that this is what we want. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so, great. Those are the things right now that people can do. Yeah, yeah. 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 So what's the website? Friendsoftheshowbox.org. Dot org. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. So we talked we've talked about a lot of different things that you do. Mostly Haifa mm-hmm. and Friends of the Showbox. And you're working on your MFA. Mm-hmm. 
Can we talk about how it all connects? Sure. Um, Haifa and the the ideas and the reasons behind it are why I went to grad school. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm trying to connect all these different things in my life that are important to me, and that would be music and art and ecology. And so I want... I, w- I was looking for a way to put them all together. I need a way to articulate it, basically. Mm-hmm. And so... I thought the grad school process would give me the time to do that. And I haven't figured out what the summary project will be, but it will be something related to ecology and art and living systems. I'm going to make something (laughs) come out of it uh, in that way. But um, as far as how the show box came into it that that was of course a surprise right um and it happened at the time when I was taking public policy in the arts Mm -hmm. and so I had resources you know available to me and um people offering to help or offering to connect me to other people I did not have any connections in city government at all when this happened and over the past few months from building relationships and talking to people, I now have connections in several city council offices. I've met with three or four different city council members face to face, and I've had some connection into the mayor's office and various departments on the mayor's side. Hmm. So that's a huge change from where I started, where I had zero, yeah. I had zero connection. I didn't know any of those people. And, uh, I think that process has been really interesting. And so thinking about like who has the power in, in this situation and how are they all connected and how is city government working or not working? And what I found is they're pretty siloed and Mm -hmm. even within city council, one city council member doesn't know what the other one is doing. And Mm -hmm. the, the city council doesn't know what the mayor's, offices are doing and so it just seems like it's another thing where like people are all working on the same thing but they're not working on it together and I do the mayor has convened an interdepartmental team to try to bring some of these departments together to work on this jointly so at least like there's some effort there right but it is a lot to figure out how to navigate city government and you know just all the policies and the legislation and who is responsible for what and who do you mm-hmm. actually need to talk to right to get some sort of response or action are you talking to the right person does this person have any power over the situation at all like can they help and but i found that people have been pretty responsive and really willing to help and they will point me in the right direction if they are not the person to help me yeah. they will say here i'll connect you to this person because they can probably help you. And so I found that many people were willing to sit down and talk with me. Yeah. Um, and there's a way through. So, yeah. 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 So, yeah. so I don't know. I, I feel like it's, I still haven't figured out all of the ins and outs of city government by any means, but yeah. I know more than I did. And I don't, it's been a really good learning experience mm-hmm. and just trying to figure out how do you advocate for something um, like what's, what's an effective advocacy strategy. Right. And, um, I think broadening the coalition is better because mm-hmm. with friends of the market, they've existed since the seventies and they have incredible historical knowledge on city processes and especially around historic preservation. And they have reach into yeah. all of these, um, city offices. So, us uh, uniting with them makes us so much stronger. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what will come in the future uh, from this, you know, like building the network. Yeah. Yeah. We're building the network right now. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Did I answer your question? Yes. <laughs> yes, you did. I think I forgot what it was. Just <laughs> how all those okay. can, all yeah. your, all your yeah. various so, endeavors. I mean, it doesn't, in terms of like, how does it, con- how does Showbox connect to Haifa? I think it just, um, it stems from what's important to me. It's connected yeah. by what my priorities are. Right. And then how I give my time and energy to a place that I love. Right. And so 
I've been doing it with plants, giving, giving plants away as gifts to people, Mm -hmm. um, and sharing knowledge. Cause I think sharing knowledge is very important. So the same for the show boxes. Yeah. I give my time to try to save this place that I dearly love. Mm -hmm. And in the same time, this inform, the information that I have gained will be shared via this website. Yeah. So that it's clearly laid out for people about what is the process here mm-hmm. and what are we doing. And I think maybe, you know, in the end it'll be helpful for other groups that want to advocate to save something that they love. And I think totally. like as a greater networking opportunity, if we can network these music venues together to start working on actual public policy mm-hmm. and zoning changes and all of that. Like how, if the zoning changes are done, how can we design other laws to save these venues? Cause there are noise ordinances and all these issues. So like right. an existing club has been there for like 30 years and then someone builds a high rise apartment building next to it. And then they complain to the city all the time about the noise of the club. Well, the club's been there for 30 years. You right. Know? So, right. Um, so what are the different ways that the city can work to save these places mm-hmm. just by changing small laws like that or, right. you know, what, what are the, being thoughtful about the city the has to want it too, because right. they're the ones creating the legislation. Totally. So, we, so then it's our duty as the community to pressure the lawmakers to adjust the laws, to support these places so that mm-hmm. we can maintain cultural spaces in Seattle. Totally. And it, I mean, it takes people who have personal connections to those spaces like mm-hmm. you in the show box and like the friends of the market people, it takes people valuing the uniqueness and the vibe and the history of those exact places with all of their details right? and, um, wanting to fight for them. Right. And, um, I think a lot of people who are moving to Seattle, they don't have personal histories here right. mm-hmm. and, because of the nature of their jobs, they might not stay here for more than three years. Mm-hmm. So why fight for the culture right. of a place that you're not going to stay? Right. So yeah. so it's up to all the people that it really matters to, that, th- yeah. that these places matter to, yeah. that we speak up for them. Right. Because otherwise, we're going to turn our backs and they'll be gone. Yeah. And you can't get it back. Like, there will, there will never be another show box and you can't recreate it. So it's nonsense to say that you could just take a few items out of it and mm-hmm. put it in a new building and we'll give it the same name and everyone will be happy yeah, because it's just not, that's no. not, it's not what the space is and it's not no. the, the energy, the meaning behind the place right. and that will be lost if it's demolished. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, it's all, all of what you talk about is network building like your personal network, but you're, you are building a personal network in city council, but you're freely disseminating the information mm-hmm. to your, to the bigger network or mm-hmm. the bigger friends of the Showbox network. Right. And that builds out from, mm-hmm. to people who are like, well, I saw Ben Gibbard told me to save the Showbox. Uh-huh. So <laughs> uh-huh. what does, what does that mean? Right. And, exactly. um, there's a really great infographic on your website about it's the network of mm-hmm. how all the groups that mm-hmm. have investments in mm-hmm. this and the the infographic itself is overwhelming. I know. <laughs> and then it's broken <laughs> it's like oh I my god down into parts. Yeah, and then it's yeah. broken down really really well uh-huh. and articulately uh-huh. and I was reading through it and I was like oh I understand, I understand. Yeah. that's what I wanted it's yeah. like it's to be simple like it's very complex yeah but it can be broken down in a simple way so that you understand like just coming in cold if you don't know anything about the situation mm-hmm. who are the players yeah in this and and I basically like I've read a bunch of articles online, you know, from mm-hmm. different news sources about all these things. And, and I see things they get wrong and I see things like repeated questions that come up. So I'm trying to answer the questions mm-hmm. and clear up the inaccurate reports. Yeah. Uh, but somehow do it visually. That's interesting to look at 
and informative right. at the same time. Right. So that's my challenge yeah. <laughs> is to make it nice to look at. But also, like, I love those network maps. They, yeah. They are really effective at illustrating the complexity of the situation, but how things are linked together. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I've been playing around with it for a while. It's I got it. I made it on um, Kumu. There, oh. It's a website that you I've can go to. It's K-U-M-U. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can create networks and system maps. <gasps> yeah. That's awesome. They're great. Yeah. They're great. So I've been, I've been experimenting with their, with their different templates and That's stuff. That's like, that yeah. sounds like a really fun internet It is. And it's hole. free. You can just do it. Um, they're these open projects, basically, mm. that anyone can see if they have the link to it, basically. So oh, cool. you can just go and play around with it for free to, to create your, yeah. your network of whoever relationships, what, yeah. for whatever you want. But I, it's really effective at illustrating, yeah. illustrating the point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. That bigger map. I was like, Oh no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love, I love the, I love the color and the lengths are like mm-hmm. these really delicate little arcing lines. It's yeah. Really, it's really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Then you're like, oh, this is serious. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. It, is. it is for sure. <laughs> but the community is so big. Yeah. As I was mapping out the community, there was just I kept thinking of more connections and more groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna make a community page. Yeah. That's a little more extensive about because yeah. you can't really sum up everything there is to say about the community and that right. and that one little thing. So the community's right. gonna have its own page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. And you can feature some of those photos Mm -hmm. too from the save the show box yeah exactly yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. well great those are all my questions are there any any closing thoughts anything Um, you think we didn't cover I think the only thing that I would say is like another byproduct of this whole um, show box process has been witnessing an empowerment amongst the employees who work mm, there, mm-hmm. um, who for many people like myself, um, had never met a city council person right. or, you know, gone to yeah. a city council yeah. hearing or anything <laughs> like that. And so the number of employees who repeatedly showed up over and over for all of these events and meetings, like we had our own internal meetings and, you know, going to city council hearings and it, I don't know, it just, it, it made my heart feel good that people were showing up repeatedly for it. And I think it's important, especially, I mean, if you think about activism, it's always about putting your physical body in the space on the line. Like that's Mm -hmm. the true measure of your, of your activist work. I think sometimes like, what will you really show up for and what, what will you, um, what are you going to put your body on the line for? Mm-hmm. So the fact that so many people kept showing up repeatedly in the middle of the afternoon for a city council hearing, I mean, yeah. hundreds of people showed up. So that illustrates to me, um, the power of this community and yes. the love that they have for the show box. So mm-hmm. that's part of what keeps me fired up totally. and, and motivated and yeah. persistent to, yeah. to keep working on this behind the scenes, even though there's not a lot happening in the news, but there's stuff going on behind the scenes that, right. and somebody needs to be keeping track of it. You know? Totally. So it's just been great to see the employees become a little more politically empowered. Yeah. yeah. It really shows how much they value it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That they're going to show up for it. So I don't That's know. Great. It's great. I think it'll spill over into other aspects mm-hmm. of their lives. Um, you know, it's just... If, you know, you see things that you feel are unjust and are you going to grumble about it, you know, to your friends or are you going to get all your friends together and you're going to show up and you're going to do something? Right. So that's what I'm hoping is it it spurs further action. And also, I mean, the conversation already has gotten much bigger about saving cultural space in Seattle. Mm. So there's a, there are a lot of ways that people can engage with our city government to talk about those things. You know, there's the Seattle music commission that is our, they are our citizen liaisons to city government. So they come out of the office of film and music, but they are all just, they're a citizen commission. Basically that was, they're appointed. And, um, so they're, they, that's also a resource, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
So I just think that, you know, we could be keeping an eye on the Office of Arts and Culture and to say, like, what are we doing to save these cultural spaces? Right. You know, like, we all of these clubs can't get torn down. Right. You know? So, like, what is Seattle going to be without its music venues? Yeah. It's not really going to be that great mm-hmm. of a place. Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just like, um, t- in talking about, well, actually, here's something that we didn't mention. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the the affordable housing portion of this. Yeah. Is that because Seattle's made some different affordable housing laws for new development, they either have to create a certain percentage of affordable rate housing in their new buildings, or they have to pay money into a fund to the city that the city can then use to build affordable housing elsewhere. Okay. So some people have been saying that, you know, we would get some affordable housing out of this 44 story tower. Mm-hmm. So it's worth it. So it's worth it to tear down the show box to get eight units of affordable housing <laughs> or some people throw out the number of $5 million. Like we could get $5 million to build affordable housing elsewhere. So, I feel like they're setting up a false choice. Yes. Of, yeah, this is the <laughs> only space left in Seattle to build a high-rise building. And, you know, so... Yeah. And they keep saying, like, what about, you know, the working class and affordable housing, and this would give us more units, blah, blah, blah. But something to remember is that the people who work at the showbox are all working class people who many of them cannot afford to live in Seattle and they live outside of the city and drive a long way or bus a long way into the city to work at this place that they love where they don't make a lot of money. So it's like there are hundreds of people that work there. So if you tear that place down, it's hundreds of jobs. And then we're talking about like, Seattle is losing its creative community mm-hmm. because they're all going to places where they can afford to live. Right. So if you if you tear down the show box, you take jobs away from musicians. You take jobs away from the audio techs and the lighting techs. Right. You know, there's so many people that work there that are artists. So that's one more place where they can't work. And for performing musicians, it's one less place that you have to perform. Right. So... I think it's important to realize how that is all connected together. Totally. And that it is a false choice to say it's $5 million or we get nothing. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's a good exchange to tear down the show box no. in order to get no. a few units For of affordable eight housing. units versus 100 w- jobs. Right. And yeah. I would say that, um, you know, what the affordable rate is what they consider affordable housing, which is set by the federal government. I believe there are like standards set that most of us who work at the show box can't even afford what the city considers affordable housing. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. I think to, yeah. to say that, um, that's the reason why we have to accept this development totally is for affordable housing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all, it's all connected. And I would say also, you know, some other things that I've heard in the news about, Oh, the tickets are expensive and the working class can't afford to go there anyway. And all of that, it's all nonsense. Mm -hmm. I see who comes to the show box day in and out. Right there. Yeah. I can tell you that it, all types of people come there and yes, the working class is there and the creative community is there and there are teenagers there and there are elderly people there. So it runs the gamut. There are all kinds of people there. And I would say most of the ticket prices are average about $25, which is completely affordable. That's low for most people. That's low for art in Seattle. Exactly. So yeah, I just feel like people sometimes set up these false narratives about, totally about what, what the reality is of that space and and who comes there and who's enjoying that place. And that place is a place for all kinds of people to come and gather Mm -hmm. and to have these transformative experiences through music. Yeah. Yeah. Great. (laughs) And with that, and with that, <laughs> um, can we can we plug your uh, your Haifa website? Sure, yeah, it's haifa.org, H-Y-P-H-A 
org. Awesome. And that is a website that has both the, the Haifa free plant nursery project where we gift plants to people and mm-hmm. um, information on how to propagate plants further. And then also it's my personal website of my um, photography and mm-hmm. some drawing and some writing. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Shannon. Yeah, thank you, Maris. <laughs> The Sharpest Knives podcast is created, edited, and produced by me, Maris Antolin, and partially supported by the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash sharpestknivespodcast, or find us on Instagram at sharpestknivespodcast. And you can follow along and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash sharpestknivespodcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments and your questions and suggestions for future guests. Email us at sharpestknivespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.